Today I'm talking to Jared Randolph, real estate agent and the leader of the Gotham Advisory Team in New York City of Compass. Jared has been in real estate for 19 years. Over the years, he's been recognized as Forbes 30 Under 30, The Real Deal 35 and Under Rising Stars. He has consulted major developers throughout the United States and advised for family offices on their investment portfolios. He is now leading the launch of an ultra-luxury international broker-to-broker off-market online platform through his company, Bespoke Global. Today, we talk about how minor adjustments can create massive change for your business. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast is to share knowledge for realtors and raise awareness for Give Back Homes, where real estate professionals work together for social good. Jet Centers Aviation, Bentley Atlanta, Legends Global, thank you for your sponsorship. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast. And today we have Jared Randolph in New York City with Compass, one of the top agents in the country and the city. Jared, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So getting started, the first thing I want to start with is just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are in business now. And then I want to get into, I love your story about how you actually got into it because it's so much different from most of us in this business. Um, But tell us a little bit about yourself. So in New York, I've been playing in the real estate game for 15 years. Uh, I've worked from pre-development with large developers through marketing and sales of the luxury buildings. I've had my own team. I've launched a private equity fund around real estate. Um, I own a luxury brand, which is based around real estate. I run a big team at Compass. Obviously, we're selling real estate. Um, and we'll probably get into at one point in time a few years ago when I had an existential crisis and I hated real estate, but <laughs> we I'm all do that, now. right? <laughs> I love it. We have to hear about your ex- existential crisis. That's okay. So tell us what I, I want to give it away, but I think I'm gonna let you do it. How did most people in this business kind of like? get to a place in life where there are really no other options and it's the easiest or most obvious. So they just kind of fall into being a real estate agent. That's not exactly how it went down for you. Give us your story and how it started 19 years ago, by the way, 19 years ago when I was uh, a wee little pup at 16 years old, my best friend's mother uh, connected me for a summer internship with a very big broker in Pennsylvania. Her name was Linda Emerson. Who's like, she's like my son. Linda Eckerson. Right. Yeah. Linda. She's a fantastic woman and still one of my mentors and best friends in in life and in business. And I spent a summer working for her and I was always very much so into architecture design. My two aspirations were either I would become an architect or I would study political science. And long story short, I didn't end up doing either. Um, So I worked for her for a summer, graduated high school early and started working full-time at 17 in real estate, got my license at 18, um, and the rest is history. So I ended up moving to New York at uh, almost 20 years old, put myself through NYU where I studied real estate finance and development, thought I would go more towards the finance side of the business, but ended up working with some of the 
prominent developers in New York City on luxury condos and take it through sales and marketing. And um, from there, I just grew and grew and built my own wow. team and big developers. And I, I love the game of real estate. So you came in to business basically as a 16-year-old and an, an intern. Or was it an internship or a part-time job? Or kind of um, it was the first summer. It was just an internship. And, and then it turned the next summer into a full-time job, which actually just became a full-time job, yes. Wow. And then you went to school, focused on real estate. Of course, you thought architecture, political science. Thank goodness you avoided the political science. <laughs> I still might have. Some say I might still have political aspirations. I might run for mayor of New York one day. We'll Dude, see. I, gotta I don't know. Money. Real estate, you got to be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> Friends in high places. Right. It helps that. So NYU, you get out of college and you basically had your first job, it sounds like, was marketing with luxury condos with big developers in New York. Does that sum it up pretty well? Yes. So you went through that. How did you evolve from that into actually becoming a real estate agent? Well, I mean, that's, you know, I had my, I was licensed the entire time. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, it's different when you sit on site because it's very prescribed and regimented. You know exactly what you're doing every day. You know your product. So I did that for about seven years and decided that I wanted to expand and create some new opportunity. And this was right around 2008 where I decided to go off and become my own broker. And the reason it actually made sense was I had built up a clientele base in all of the buildings that I had represented in luxury towers throughout New York City. So I was able to very quickly translate my business wow. into successful brokerage business because I had a clientele. Wow. So basically you were in marketing, a lot of on-site work until 2008. Now 2008 was really the recession. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 2006 was the peak, 2007 was the recession, but people like me didn't know it until 2008 hit and maybe right. the same for you. So how did that, how did that go? Did that play to your advantage or was it, it a challenge? Played, it played to my advantage because as I was representing these developers and these uh, buildings, I had run across a lot of investors and very savvy buyers. So whether I was working with pre-development and helping them underwrite and design the buildings uh, from marketing standpoint from actually doing the sales in the buildings, I now had these relationships of people who are always looking for the next opportunity. So a lot of my clients were very smart and savvy and able to pick up a large amount of units, whether in bulk or one-off, discounted wow. prices. Oh, that was huge. huge. That was huge. huge for you. So when you did that, um, did you work and was it, cause you talk about buying in bulk or buying in bulk or buying in packages. I mean, a lot of, in that time, a lot of the packages were short sale because the, the banks and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't even want to take them back. They wanted to short sell them or did they? Yeah. We had somewhat, we had somewhat of that in New York city. It was more of the developers needed to liquidate the okay. they had on their balance sheet. Okay. And selling at 15 to 30% discounts from what other people in the market had, had, had paid. And it was, it was just an overage of inventory. We had produced too much inventory for the consumer base and we were dealing with the great financial crisis. Wow. So developers come in, you're I mean, that was, so what was that like? It sounds like you were doing really well when most of us were suffering a little bit. It was, it was interesting. It was actually nice that I had clients who, uh, understood the new the value of the long-term 
um, real estate market for New York City, and they they jumped. So it was it was an interesting time and opportunity in the market that I realized I was lucky to have had. So coming out of that, these guys bought. Did they rent? Did they hold? I have a lot of clients from 2009 through 2000 and, and really 12, where they made a lot of purchases of these new condos. They're still holding on to them because they're returning so well, and we rent them. So part of what my team does is we have a very large uh, rental division. We do over 120 rentals a year, and most of them wow. are luxury. And we manage several of these condos. You know, we, we manage over 100 condos throughout the city, individual units, for these investor owners. So you're managing condos, you're selling, I mean, you're, how many people are on your team? Uh, seven. So you've got Until seven team members. Now, how does that include you? That includes me. Yes. So who's, who does what? How do you structure that? So it's myself and my co-leader, Kevin. Um, Kevin's more of the operations listing uh, procedure side of the business. I'm more of the business development and agent development. We made a conscious decision when we decided to combine forces that we were going to capitalize on our talents. Kevin's great with organization, with operations. I'm really great with business development and with agent development. So we're looking to grow our team beyond just the seven members in total, bring on some other agents and help them build their business. And what I focus on is their actual business plan development, but not only their development, their execution. One of the challenges we have in the real estate market is two things. One, there's really no 1-800 number that you can call for complaints, which Compass is working on that, and I love it. Right. Um, it's holding agents responsible for their actions. And not in a negative way, it's if you put together a business plan, who is sitting there every single Thursday at 11 o'clock saying, did you make your Instagram posts? Did you make your phone calls? Have you done everything you're supposed to do to build your business and your lead generation? I love doing that. I love connecting with the brokers. I love helping you and I have a lot in common. I love that. Yeah. So, and then in the meantime, you've got your, so you and Kevin have been working together since 2000. Well, probably not. How long? We've known each other for 10 years. We've been working okay. together last year as a team. Oh, that's right. Because you joined Compass. Did we talk about that yet? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have even talked to you before the interview because anyway, so you came to Compass to work with Kevin. Now we're a little all over the place, but everybody, I'm going to bring this all back together. I have to ask you as we're kind of putting the pieces of your career together for everybody to learn from your experience. And one of the questions that I'm sure comes to everybody's mind is in New York, Compass has been in resales. Is it four years? Five years. Five years. And the, how many years before that was it in rentals? One or two? Uh, two years. So, the first two years, as far as I'm concerned, don't count. <laughs> Whatever. We're gonna we're gonna forget that. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Like everybody talks about, like why are we even discuss? Like that was a whole different company model. That wasn't even, and that was Urban Compass. Exactly. But Compass five years. What took you for? What and I? You were. Well, you tell me the story. Like what took you so long to make the change, and why did you do it? So I had been with. After I left the pre-development business where I was working for the preeminent firm, it was the Sunshine Group, which was purchased by NRT and it became Cork and Sunshine. They're still a leader in new development in the city. I had worked for several other firms. I had owned my other firm, my own firm, all for about two years each. Mm -hmm. 
know, for one reason or the other, it just wasn't right for me. And I needed a platform that was more expansive. And as Kevin and I started talking about the next iteration of our careers, because we're close in age and experience, because he's been in the business for 15 years as well um, in New York City, we wanted to find something that was fresh and new. And I was always in the same compass. I thought it was a lot of smoke and mirrors with the technology, with what they said they were going to do for the agents. I ended up meeting with Rob Refkin as we were looking at our opportunities. I walked out of the, my stomach was turning. I walked out of the meeting, big eye roll. And I was like, oh God, I'm joining Compass. Um, wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And the rest from there, it, it's, it is a phenomenal company and they have, They've encouraged me, even at this point in time in my career, to be a better, um, a better Jared and a better broker and a better team leader. And it's just has increased my business in the last year exponentially. Yeah. So when I, having this podcast, I always try to make this podcast about your career, not about the company that I'm with. Just side note to everyone, but I do, but I also like to share a little bit about who I'm with and my experience to elaborate on what you said is that I do think every company and every, I've only been with three companies. So this is, I've been in business for 15 years, seven years, eight years, and now Compass for a few months. But I think you learn something from every place you go. It's kind of like the Steve Jobs quote, when you look back, every step you took was to, you didn't realize that they were all lining you up for where you are now. Um, and I think, you know, in some companies, in most companies, there's a real focus on us as real estate agents, as salespeople, because that is usually our gift, but to really grow beyond, to grow our business and take ourselves to the next level, we've just got to understand how to be more than a salesperson. And I think that you, you tell me if this isn't summing it up correctly at Compass, it gives you, it's more of the environment and the mindset, if anything, of how, uh, of being in a position to do business that way. And it's in the best interest of all parties that it's done that way. With that, that's a little bit of what I would say. I'm hearing you say, does that, and some of that comes from experience or what would, Compass, how would you elaborate on that? Yeah. Compass, I believe, helps agents find their authentic selves and they give you every opportunity to find that authentic self. I've engaged in some of the education and uh, agent building platforms that Compass has offered. I've also, because of what they were offering, finally, about three months ago, decided to start working with uh, a development coach I've wanted to work with over the last year. And I kind of was, I hesitated and I was apprehensive and I finally just decided to commit to it. And it was because of everything Compass was offering. This person in particular works with a lot of CEOs and it has drastically changed my life and my perspective on my business. And I wouldn't have done that without Compass in basically encouraging me and helping me understand the importance of having that type of guidance and, and training on a consistent basis. That's awesome. That's huge. So we've got, so we've got you joining Compass. You're with Kevin. You've got your focus on business development for agents on the team, as well as for your for you for the team and then you've got kevin over here probably more of an introvert because i don't remember meeting kevin more behind the kevin. scenes more of an operational <laughs> kevin and i have we're you know we're yin and yang and he's yeah. definitely on the quiet side and reserve side he keeps me in check because <laughs> i can be i can be a big picture thinker but i'm also a very rational thinker and he's he's 
definitely more of a rational thinker. So he helps to balance me out in a very big way. I'm yes. loving this because I can tell I can, I can learn a lot from you. Um, so I'm looking down because I'm checking back because we've covered so many different parts of your business and so much. So how did you know, you know, you came into this, you knew you wanted to be in real estate. You've had your license since you were like 18. Yes. How did, how did it evolve into, you know, because you thought finance, you thought political science, you thought architecture. How did it evolve into real estate agent? Being a real estate agent, and, and trust me, I've, I've had my own issues with being a real estate agent with the what people perceive of real estate agents and, and of the industry. But for me, it's all encompassing in all of the aspects of lifestyle that I really enjoy being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, I love connecting people. I love creating really genuine content and conversation. Uh, I like the interaction that I get to have with luxury product and um, luxury lifestyle and real estate is one of the few places where I'm able to get that. And I also like the business side of it because it's beyond just transactional. You have to have an understanding of the business, everything from how the numbers work to the psychology of the human being. The, what always got me about finance, why I had the challenge of really being able to marry myself to a career in just finance is numbers on a sheet are great. But at the end of the day, you can't sell it to the consumer, meaning if you do not know and understand the consumer, you'll never truly be able to do it as successfully as you can with having those types of relationships. So for me, this being a relationship building, uh, excuse me, relationship business is very important. Exactly. So I'm going to hone into the relationship business a little bit for you. One, okay, so everybody, we haven't talked about this yet, but you and I met in L.A., because you yes. hosted an event with top agents at Compass. Actually, you even had an agent not with Compass. Who was she? Was was she in LA or she was was she from New York? She was. She was in LA. There was one agent that was not from Compass. You always have to have your token non-Compass agent. Right. Uh, I want her to be a compass, so that was one of the reasons she was at the table, and she's a very good friend. <laughs> well, she is. She was fabulous. So we there were were there twenty seventeen. Um, there were nineteen in total. 19 of us, and you brought together a group of top agents, all from different markets from around the country, and we really dug deep on the luxury market, on what is luxury, luxury being different things to different people. Um, And one of the guests, well, so we had several guests, y'all, that have been on the podcast, Bill Fandel, Shelley Treader, and of course, the famous Leonard Steinberg. So much fun, among many, many others. We had this great dinner that we hosted around the table, and you're bringing agents together. I mean, talk about business development, but what I loved about that is you went, you know, Seth O'Byrne talks about this a lot, who's been on the show a few times, but you went, like, narrow and deep. So many people go to these conventions, and they're like, I'm going to meet 500 people and give them all my card and throw it in, like, where is that? But you really honed in and hand-selected 20 people or 19 people that you were going to dedicate not just your time, but your money and your thought and really engage with. Tell us, and then we're going to back away from, back out from that on business development, but tell us how did you come up with that and how did you put that together and how has that affected your business over the big picture? I I run an organization in New York city called uh, New York residential specialists, and it's a designation that you can get It's a state accredited designation, NYRS, New York residential specialist. And we were looking at innovative ways, the sponsors that we have were banks and attorneys and so on 
to engage them with the brokers who are all top level brokers um, and help them develop business. And one of the one of my um, buddies and sponsors, Anthony Sherman, said, you know, I'd love to do a dinner. And I had to think outside the box because I've been to a lot of dinners that I just I didn't love. And it was probably almost three years ago when he suggested this. And I said, you know what, let me bring in someone who I'm close with, who is a prominent architect in New York City. And we brought in Morris Ajme. We had the sponsor. We had probably 12 real estate brokers around the table. And the conversation that we had with Morris was the changing New York City uh, architectural landscape and what it actually means for the future of the city. And it's evolved over time, but it's the headliner, and, and it's now called the Headliner Dinner Series, which I've now taken, and I'm not just doing it with the organization. I do it personally for my own network and for business building, is creating community and conversation. It's all about the conversation. So every time we do something, we have a headliner, we have a topic, and we have questions that keep it focused on having a conversation that's relevant for everyone around the table. So when you have that level of conversation over drinks and dinner for a few hours, you build real relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 believe it or not, as much as I'm an extrovert, I'm actually very shy and I hate being in a room with 500 people. It makes me uncomfortable. I know I'm never going to connect. Well, so, and how are they going to remember you unless you get to be on stage? They're not, notice how I said get to be, not have to be, but... <laughs> that was actually like a thought out loud, like of self-observation, self-awareness somewhat. Anyway. So. so putting together those dinners are very important. And I think, and it's grown now for me outside of just it being real estate brokers, where I'll bring in thought leaders and have conversations about, um, you know, the social landscape or philanthropy or art and design. And it's just really incredible that I've been able to now connect people, which it is translating into business, mm -hmm. but not only it's for the people who are around the table. Well, as I say, you're connecting two people, but you're doing it. The first thing you prefaced this headline or dinner that, that I came to was you're helping, you're talking about helping these bankers and lenders get business. You know, right. it started with what you're giving and what you have to offer. I just I love that because when you come in at an approach of it, if it's relevant to your business and what you can do and give to others, it always, it always feed. It just, it, it, it's amazing how the overflow is exponential when your intentions come to it that way. Um, yes. And it probably was the same for you. Do you have any examples for us of things you've done like that on business development? Because clearly most people you talk to business development about, especially, unfortunately, real estate agents, and you get a lot of feedback about scripting and how many calls to make and how many letters to write and how many newsletters to do and how much you can throw out at them until it sticks. And obviously you've got a different way of thinking about that. How and where did you develop that? And can you give us some stories and elaborate on other things that you do um, in that realm of business Absolutely. development? So it's, I always look for, I like to start from a warm introduction versus a cold introduction. And the warm introduction is just being at Compass and being able mm -hmm. to use my within Compass to get the right people around the table or at least extend an invitation. And we already know that we're like-minded people. And I make this correlation for agents who are on my team and who have been on my team previous is if you have a listing, say you have two listings and you get inquiries on to show those, those listings and say per, per listing, you get 10 inquiries a week. Mm -hmm. Five of them might happen to be direct. 
Those are five warm leads of people that you know who are looking for properties. So the way you follow up with a warm lead is, I know you're interested in my property and we're going to schedule a time for you to come and see it. Or if you're not interested, I completely understand. But here's two open houses that I thought might interest you. And one property that if you'd love to take a look at, I'd be happy to show you um, as, as a buyer's broker. You'd be fascinated on how many times at least one of those persons will follow up and say, you know, yeah, I definitely would like to take a look at that. Or thank you so much for sending me that information because the open houses are out there in the marketplace. They can find them on themselves, but they might not have the time to do that, but you're helping prepare them for the weekend that's coming up to go to an open house. And you're not being pushy. Mm -hmm. You're not pleasant. You're actually providing them a service. And that, that if you get one response a week, that's 52 responses in a year. And say you capture 10% of those, that's five new clients. That warm lead is very important. And again, it translates to everything that you do. In well, business. and I would elaborate to say on that, in on, on following up that way, it's funny because I talk a lot about that in this workshop, Elevate 8, that everybody's going to hear about in 2008. I'm, I can't remember what year it is, y'all. 2019. It's, it's 2018. Because I'm like trying to like, yes. Anyway, um, but but using that, to, but on what you said is that not only, yeah, sure, they may have access to the open house information, but they never have, when it comes to open house information, they never have the context behind the property ever that we have, right. that we can provide. So once you engage in the open house, you can engage in why, or you can engage in, or they can engage in why they don't like it and you can elaborate, or then they start engaging and they start asking you about, I mean, I've had so many instances to your example of people that come to me, same thing. They don't have an agent. They don't really want an agent. I'm pleasant. Don't push it, but offer incredible value. They've never seen or felt or heard anywhere else. And the next thing I know, a week or two later, they're at an open house and they want to write an offer and realize they'd much rather have me write it than anyone else. And I get the phone call. That's happened yeah. a lot when you approach business in that way. Um, so I love, I love that example. And I love that you're sharing that with us. And the other thing is, I always think I never go after the business ever because people feel that and they shy away from it. It's not going after the business. It's going after referral. So if I can yeah. show my professionalism, my offer value, my likability, competence and character, now all of a sudden people refer you business when they hear people looking for an agent because they have had such un kind of fortunately, but unfortunately an unusual interaction with you as a realtor because our barrier to entry to, into this business is low. And so of course, it's easy to impress people in our business. And then a Southern <laughs> accent, they immediately assume I'm not that smart. So it doesn't take much for them to realize I'm smart. And then all of a sudden I'm a genius, but that's a whole right. other story. So I, so I love that example for us. Could you, because business development is always a hot topic on this. I want to kind of go into your team structure a little bit. Before we do that though, on your team, obviously you're kind of the leader, insp insp um, inspirational coach. You meet with these guys. It sounds like every, you may have made up that date and time, but every Thursday at 11 or whatever it is. We, we have meetings. We, we meet once a week with and each one. Individual. That's so when you do that, what are the things that you are actually holding them or how much of that secret sauce do you want to give us that you're holding so, them accountable for? It's follow up on their current business. It's follow up on the business that they're working, cultivating and then the marketing that they're doing. 
So their current business, if they're actively working with five clients, let me be a sounding board for you to figure out ways that you can have conversations with those clients. It might be, I've got a client who is on the fence about selling and I want to reach out to them, but I don't want to be pushy. And I know when I reach out to them, we're going to talk about real estate, but I've what way do I go about it? It's kind of the old, I really need a referral for a contractor who can do mill work. And you did beautiful mill work in your library. I just sold an apartment three blocks away from you and they wanted to redo their library. Who was your mill worker again? Exactly. Now, See, <laughs> I swear, soulmates, we knew one another in a past life. I mean, not it's seriously. Almost, it's not that I'm lying to you. I'm trying to protect you from the truth. But the reality right. is, is I really need a mill worker. Oh, I don't know, but I do want you to know I'm selling stuff and that right. well, it's I, true. Yeah. And they're going to say, Oh, that's amazing. What do you think my apartments were? Exactly. And then, then it strikes up a new conversation. So you always have to figure out ways to engage people and remind them that you're a broker, you're their broker and you, they, you, if you ever need anything, come to me. Well, and the thing is, that's not a bad thing. I think it is a bad thing when people are stalking people and trying to manipulate them into selling their house. Or, but when it's, it's, I always quote Fabian Fredrickson. She's not a real estate coach, but she's a great coach. She's, it's, it's, she's made a difference in my career, a huge difference in my career through the recession. But she talks about, like, if you're baking brownies and, like, you bring them out and you just don't offer them to people, how are they going to know? I mean, brownie. Right. Just if you've got something to value, it's a disservice to not offer that to people who might need it. But right. it's a matter of presenting it in a way that it's welcome and that they perceive it that way, which is exactly what you just said. Or the other thing is really when you've got a listing coming on the market in a neighborhood, I really get hyper focused on neighborhood, and um, I'm really hyper focused on being engaged in the community and the country club and the you know that that whole realm of things. And in doing that, it's easy to call somebody and tell them, Hey, I just put this on the market. Who do you know that I hate that? Who do you know? So cliche, but do you know anybody that would think about moving or that would be, that would love this house before we go active or as we're getting ready to go on the market. And it's amazing how many houses I've sell that way. And also the conversation back to what you said, that it starts to engage, build credibility and engage in a conversation, not in a plea for cry for business that's so random and nonspecific that can be so really not valuable in the long run. Um, so a, go ahead. There's also other ways of cop, uh, really capitalizing on what your center of influence is. It might be 20, it might be five people, it might be 30 people. You are listing, you're trying to price a listing. Hey, John and Sarah, haven't spoken in a year, miss you, our kids, I hope they're wonderful. All right, I need your help. I'm getting ready to list something that's in the neighborhood next to you. I'm gonna list it for, I think, $2 million. It's a three bedroom. Mm -hmm. and got an outdoor space, really nice views, great amenities in the building. What do you think about my pricing? I know people that are in your uh, circle. That, you know, they, they, they might buy something like this. What because who prices the house? It's not me, the agent. It is the buyer. Why not ask the likely buyer? I love it. So use your past clients for your pricing. And love then it that. Engages them. It engages them in a very different way. Love that where they could say, hey, I've got a friend who's looking for that. Or you know what? That's really great. And then it comes up in their cocktail conversation that, oh, I was talking to my real estate broker the other day about the market. He's getting ready to list something in that neighborhood that's around $2 million. Everyone always wants to talk about real estate. It's something that's it's safe and sexy. <laughs> it's not, so here's, it's not 
I love it. But here's what I can hear because I've taught, I've done enough workshops with agents in business. I know what they say. Here's what I hear. Well, why would I do that? Then they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. Well, that would be weird because aren't I, aren't I, I'm the one that's supposed to tell them what the price is, which I kind of already answered that question. But do you ever get that from your teammates or, I mean, the answer is obvious to us. It's, I've already said it is we, the buyers actually do price it and their perspective is always changing with every moment and talking to them gives you that. But tell us a little more about how you, you know, it's, it's to me, it's, it's about human connectivity and it's a higher level of engagement. Yes. I already told them, here's what I'm thinking about. I want your opinion on this because mm-hmm. they have to have, I, I think when you take a perspective like that is they've now become part of your network. They've now become a resource for you. Okay. So they want to pay that back to you and they'll know to pay that back to you in a referral. And it's just another way of being able to connect with a client to remind them you're in real estate, you're selling stuff and you're the go-to guy or girl when they get ready to transact or they know someone who wants to transact. Mm-hmm. People exactly. like to talk about real estate. Yes, Why not do. talk about real estate in a unique way? Yes, they do. No matter where, I mean, it's like the weather, but a lot more interesting. Yes. Um, <laughs> unless you're like the CEO of the weather channel in that case, sorry. But, <laughs> but um, or a weatherman, which I know a few of those, but that's okay. Guys, I love you. So, or like the hurricane, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm diverting a lot today, but here, so when you're meeting with these team members, do you have, is it more of a like, Hey, what's going on? Who are you engaging with? Or is it a, did you make your 20 calls a day or five calls a day or, or how many, like, do you guys have a really structured format or is it more deep and engaging with the people you're like your top five or top 30 people and how you're engaging with them right now? It's it's going to be different for each agent and each agent's going to tell me what they need because I'll have some agents who just for the life of them, they can't pick up the phone and call 30 different people, but they can easily do six different coffee meetings during a week. That's going to translate. That's a great example. So, so go ahead. Well, go ahead. well, you made me think of something because I have a lot of people who they love real estate and they want to be in this business, but you hear them, they really, the traditional call 20 people a day or the traditional whatever most of these training programs or whatever we want to call them call for just make people uncomfortable. I mean, uncomfortable to the point that they can't do it without being awkward. So it's finding, I love how you said that, finding what fits them best and growing and having them grow and flourish through their talents as opposed to their weaknesses. Right. Do you have any great examples? Oh, go ahead. Making, making the phone calls especially is one of the toughest things. And that's why I like to be very creative on why you would be calling someone. The example of, I need a referral for a housekeeper. I need a referral for a mill worker. I need somebody who's great at doing lawn work. Um, Making the phone call based on, I'm going to list something in the neighborhood. What are your thoughts? Or, you know, I'm, I'm listing something in a neighborhood that I'm not an expert in. I know you guys, your parents live in that neighborhood. Tell me the the top restaurants that I should include in my description that are in that neighborhood. It changes the conversation. So again, I love doing the headliner dinners because I love having conversation. At the end of the day, you have to know what questions to ask to get Mm -hmm. the response that you want to get. So you have to think outside of the box when it comes to that. 
I like doing that. And if I have an agent who likes making phone calls, great. I want to know how you're making those phone calls because you might be making them and being absolutely not fruitful because you're not asking the right questions or not approaching those clients in the right way. And it makes me think about a quote from Tony Robbins. I don't remember where I won't go to Tony Robbins events. I refuse to 5,000 people, whatever, but I love the guy. Um, but he talks about people in their business, how the smallest adjustments, sometimes they think because they're not getting where they want to get, they have to do some huge drastic thing. And usually they're not that far off. Usually it's like you said in these conversations, there could be one small adjustment or one shift in how you're thinking or hearing or seeing it that could change everything about your business and your relationships and where they're going. Right. And, and, that's, and that's actually Compass offers, which not to go on the Compass dances, tangent, but they offer the agent as CEO training. And as you learn about the four types of psychology on how someone thinks Sometimes you can just call a client and say, hey, we just took photos of this new listing that I have coming up. But what do you think of the design of this? How does this make you feel? Because I'm on the fence on whether or not I should have the owner stage and paint the room. Oh, and now you've got, you've got feedback from a real consumer. Forget feedback from realtors. Not that we don't like that, too. I just, <laughs> love, but that's so engaging with your, because our clients and the buyers and the consumers are so relevant to our business. It's like so obvious, but so brilliant. Imagine picking up the phone and calling a client who is, we absolutely know they are a, a functional thinker. They're all about the numbers. He's got maybe two seconds in the day. You sold him an, a, a home, him and his family, a home three years ago and say, listen, John, I need a quick opinion. I'm going to price this in this building or in this neighborhood on this street at $3 million. We're probably 500000 over what everybody else has done, but they put 200000 in with putting in a basement, a movie theater, and a pool, and I think they've really upgraded this. Would you pay 3.5 for this? And he's going to say yes now and maybe give you an opinion, but now you've hit another client that you don't have, you're not dealing with the emotional client. You're you're dealing- We've also and- tapped in. You've gotten him to talk about your listing without asking him to. Yes, and John, who you that literally- feels important. We're not going to share this with any of your clients. We don't want them to know any of your secrets. <laughs> but, but the thing is- So is much for getting more downloads from your sphere of influence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's real conversation. And it's a right. real need. It's, yeah. it's, it's a way to engage a client. See, a lot, like that's so obvious, but it's usually the most obvious things. There's like, what's right here under your nose? Again, I'm f- quoting Fabian Fredrickson today, but she always says, like the things that are right under your nose, that are right in front of you, are usually the biggest, most valuable opportunities that we're not missing because we're not just harnessing them. I love that. So I want to go back. I promised everybody I'd bring it back to, we were talking about your team structure. So you've got seven team members. You've got two partner head team members, one who's more logistical and organized and probably processes and systems driven and and overseeing that. That's kind of, okay. And then we've got you who's big picture, sees opportunities, you know, even a year or two in advance business development, deciding what big deals we're going to take and not take, especially with all of your background in new development. And then you've got five more people on the team. Are the five people on the team agents? Are they administrative? Or how does that, how, what are the roles of those people? So the way it works, we've got myself and Kevin. We have an office basically manager, our administrative. And then we have, um, we have our own team marketing director. And then everyone else is agents, and the other three are agents. Okay, so and you we're, get. We're, go ahead. We're, we're in an interesting process right now because 
I'm looking to grow the team even more with more agents because we have so much referral business in-house. And, and as I move now into a very different chapter and iteration of my career and, and what I have to offer, I'm now taking a lot of the business that I've traditionally had and managed and referring to the brokers who are on my team. And it's, I've just realized that if we capitalize on our strengths when we work together, we can build a much bigger business. And that's my ultimate goal. And by the next first quarter, we'll probably add two to three more new agents to the team. But again, you know, it's all about managing their expectations and being able to help them build their businesses because I, I want to really sit down with each one of our members. And we do on a weekly basis to make sure that they are doing what they need to do to execute and to build business. And when, you, you, when you're receiving those referrals, make sure they're delivered to the level of service that is, matches the standard of, of how you've done business for 20 years now. Sure. Um, so I'm guessing, I just want to get a good, I love everybody always, people call me and they're like, Jerry, you've, you've interviewed now almost 100 agents and, or maybe it's about 100. Um, we have over 100 episodes, but you've interviewed all of these agents. Tell us how to do a team because you know, it's amazing how I don't because everybody does it so differently. So I really like to get a good picture of how, like how you guys do it. Obviously I'm going to do another, cause we're going to get into the next level with you, but you've got you business development. You're the rainmaker. We've got the guy over here, processes driven, overseeing, making sure things are done right. And then I'm assuming you're probably more of the liaison to marketing and the agents. And then you've got Kevin, who's more liaison at administration and maybe processes on the agents are bringing in the business. You're giving them the motivation and, and, and holding them accountable. But behind the scenes, you've got administration implementing processes and getting listings in and getting transactions done to get them closed out. Does that give kind of a picture of what you're doing and how you're doing it? It's a very good picture. And you said a agents ask you how to establish a team. First of all, it's a mindset that you have to get, um, that you have to accept. And there's two things. One, if you're going to partner, you need to find a partner who has a similar business to you. So if one partner is selling condos in town and the other partner is selling houses uh, in the suburbs, it's never going to work. And you're not able to basically combine forces and grow exponentially with a focus which is similar. That's one. Number two. So, so hold your thought. Focus please. is important. It's important that you know what your client is and that you stay focused on that when you develop a partnership, if that's the avenue you take for building a team. Correct? Yes. Okay. Next, number two. And two, this is more psychological. No partnership is ever created equal. Hmm. What I mean by that is for six months, one partner might do better than the other. But the support that the one partner who is not bringing in 10 new clients can provide to the other partner who is bringing in those 10 clients, there is value to that. And the truth is, is they do contribute and you wouldn't be able to produce at that level if it weren't for that partner. So you have ups and downs. Someone's going to bring in more business than the other. Some want, you know, somebody's going to, you know, to do potential to, on the scene on, on, basically feel like there's somebody else is doing more work. That's, that's very rarely true. Everybody is doing equivalent work. It's just different. Well, there's a statistic that says if you go and ask everybody on a team, how much they're contributing 
and add those numbers up, it will add up to well over 100%. <laughs> well over 100%. Well over 100%. Um, caught in the weeds with that because Kevin and I are equal partners and we're equal partners because we believe that our strengths together will build a bigger business. It's not, I bring in a listing, you bring in a listing. I bring in a listing, you bring in a listing. There are other things that are valuable. Exactly. Well, one thing I think of that's valuable is there is very much a good guy, bad guy scenario of there's been business that, you know, even with my team, I don't have a partnership, but I do bring in people who work almost like partners where sometimes I can be the bad guy or a little bit too, too honest, honest might be the wrong word, but a little too blunt in the delivery of the message. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes they need to hear it. And sometimes that's the only way it's going to come across, but you've got somebody else to buffer it and feel loved and understood while they feel like I'm beating them down or maybe vice versa. But you, you, you've kind of got that balance or when you've got two agents that are supporting the same market information, about a listing or about how to do something, it gives you a lot, it gives the people a much better gauge on on how to even, because in real estate, we're representing them, they're making their own decisions. We just got to right. do a good job of getting, helping them know what the right decisions are to make and making them. Exactly. And as team, you know, as when you're forming a team, you know, you, you have to also define who the leadership is and what they do and what the expectation is of each person. <laughs> And then what the expectations are of the other team members who are supporting or selling on the team. So tell if us you, a little bit about that. So how does that, how does, what are those for each of your team members? So Kevin and I both defined who we are as team leaders and what we bring to the table for the overall business. Kevin's more operations. I'm more of business development, agent development. And then we have our director of marketing, Sean. He focuses on the team marketing and the individual agent marketing. We have our administrator. Our administrator focuses on the processes and systems within the, within the team and within the office, which streamline everything we do on a daily basis. And then we have the agents, the agents who are there to transact to do uh, rentals and sales and how we support those agents. And each person understands what they're there to do for the team and how they are to contribute. We're very collaborative. We communicate very well, but we've defined everyone's roles and we are very careful not to step on anyone else's toes when it comes to that. That has, having a structure has really created balance for us. And that structure is part of a business plan where we actively on a weekly basis make sure that we're focused on and we're executing on that business plan. That's mm -hmm. really key success with a partnership and a team. So on your team, because now you've got compensation, I'm assuming marketing admin or kind of a hourly salary type Correct. fee. And then you've got your agents. Are they the same? Are they on splits or a combination of the two? The agents are on splits and the splits are based on business that they bring in themselves. Mm -hmm business that's referred to them directly from myself or Kevin, or when they ask us to come in and say, listen, I want to go after this $10 million listing. I really need your help. I can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And then that is just team business that gets referred out to them. And when they bring in their own business, we're going to let them take the lion's share of that because we want them to continue to grow their own business and feel that they are, they're, they, they, that there's massive value in being part of the team mm -hmm. and we're 
50% of their earnings. I just, I don't believe in that. And there's some teams that do that. I don't think it's right. It's not well, you want to attract and retain talent so that if talent's not going to stay if they're not well compensated. Exactly. So the team has to feel like a real resource to them to build their business. And they want to be part of the team for the long term, as you said, attract and retain talent. Love it. All right. So one more time, we're going to cover a little bit on marketing, then we're going to start closing out because we've been, I don't even know how long we've been talking. How long have we been talking, Isaac? <laughs> how long? 54. Oh my, 54 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> one last thing, marketing. Do you guys, obviously you have someone, I mean, being at Compass, we have a marketing department, but we all, I included, have someone who oversees marketing. Plus, I've got Isaac's crew helping out even create some of that content for us. But on that, on that, what, what is your biggest advice about marketing and about positioning yourself in a market? Focus was obviously one of them. The, you know what? I'm, I'm going to answer that from starting with um, kind of a personal anecdote. So I've read a lot of help books and listened to podcasts and things on YouTube, and they've been amazing. Jerry Metcalf being the best podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> had to give myself a plug on my own podcast. So anyway, <laughs> back to marketing. But Jerry Metcalf, um, whether it's in psychological development, business development, and so on. And mm -hmm. when I started with my coach three months ago. Um, now, are you going to share that coach with us, or are you not allowed to? No, no, absolutely. Her name is Tracy Williams. She literally has changed my life and I'm, I am so grateful and blessed to have her because not once, unless I, unless I bring up a particular topic in the last three months we talked about business, it's been all personal development that has directly impacted. Isn't that interesting? And it's fascinating because I had to change my own psychology on how I thought about myself and abundance and being grateful and getting rid of my ego to welcome so much more in, which has now made me a much more critical and clear thinker. With that yeah. said, I said to her, maybe our third time in, I said, Tracy, this is amazing, but I know all of this. And she said, okay, yeah, you know of it. You know a lot of it. I said, sure. She hung up the phone next week because we do weekly calls. She says, you don't know any of this. You do not know any of this. You've heard it because if you knew it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, and what was yeah. fascinating that was, I realized I needed to step back, put down the other stuff that I had been working on and focus on one path and focus on the results of that one path. And in marketing, there are so many opportunities out there where we're trying to do eight different verticals, 20 different activations, mm -hmm. five different websites, that when you pick two to three that you are consistent with, you will build your business. Because mm -hmm. if you have more than that, there's no way that you can remain consistent, especially if you are your own broker and you don't have someone managing this business, and that you can create content that is relevant and is going to develop your business even more. So what I recommend with marketing is if it's going to be social media and e-blast for the next six months, be so precise and thorough and create great content through that social media and e-blast. And you're going to start to see business return from that. And then you can include something else. But as the business returns and you start making more money, invest in people helping you to be consistent with your marketing because marketing is key with growing your business. Consistency is key. Yes. 
Sometimes you've got to go a little bit slower to get there a whole lot faster. Time, time and repetition, and it's time and repetition in development and personal, personal development and business development work that I do, time and repetition in building relationships with people and marketing. What is that? You're trying to, you're a human being trying to commit make, to make a connection with another human being. It's very simple, time and repetition. Time and repetition equal connection, equal business. Success, equal, equal business. Success, yeah. Um, so we're gonna wrap this up with the final three. Number one, what is what, do you, what have you found to be the most beneficial tool for your business and growing your business? See, whether it's a CRM or a lot of people talk about collections with Compass. Of course, let's do one everybody can use or whatever it really is. Um, this is maybe a little existential and outside of the box, but my what has built my business has been my personal development work and the tools my company has given me to understand more of the psychology of myself and clients as a human. I love how we're, it keeps coming, the last two topics, marketing, tool, personal development. And I'll say while we're on that topic, just in having so many friends that are such great real estate agents all over the country, the one thing as everyone becomes more and more successful, the focus always goes back to personal development, always. Because is it, um, it was Tony, people say it was, um, I keep talking about Tony Robbins today. I can't remember his name right now, but he says, if you want, if you basically, if you want to make more money, you got to become more valuable or your, whatever your income is or whatever your success is a reflection of how far you've personally developed, i.e. back to what you just said. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, what were you going to say? Personal development is key for me. And it was, I, I about a little over, almost two years ago, I read a book by Deepak Chopra called The Spontaneous Fulfillment of Desire, where it basically discusses getting rid of, getting rid of and getting e over ego and what it meant. Because the reality is, is you could be walking down the street, texting with somebody ferociously because you're mad at them and your head's in your phone and you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. you had to tell that person who they were and what they did wrong and why they upset you. And on the, the street next to you, or somebody walks past you that you haven't seen in five years, who is a and friend, a client, or whatever, if you were looking up from your phone, that spontaneous moment is missed. But if you were looking up for your phone, you would have said, you know what? I haven't seen you in forever. How are you doing? Let's catch up. You end up talking business and you transact Different together. completely. The spontaneous just, fulfillment of desire, of desire by Deepak Chopra. Is it Deepak Chopra? Yeah, Deepak yes. Chopra. I should know that by now. And it um, was, I mean, that, that kind of, that type of psychological work on yourself, it's amazing how much it translates into business because it's a real tangible thing. If you're not looking up from that phone, if you don't get over that frustration that makes you, or that heartbreak or whatever that makes you stay at home all day, you miss that opportunity for something that's abundant well, and great. And how you handle situations and what's in here is manifested out here. So you're absolutely right. I mean, I think about, so... I couldn't resist, Isaac. Never split the difference. My favorite book ever, but we're going to talk about yours. But that book gave me a way of having conversations. and It's a negotiating book, but it, for me, it was actually personal development because it really opened my eyes 
to be able to really take myself out of the conversation, to take my ego out of it and hear people say things in a different way. And you have to read the book to better understand. But Chris Voss is that, and he was at the Compass event we just went to, by the way. Um, and I met him, and I was like a preteen meeting at Justin Bieber. I was so excited. It was embarrassing. But it was awesome because he's changed my life. Anyway, um, that being said, give me your, what is your, this is my next question as we close out, but what is your book that you feel, and this may be it, The Spontaneous Fulfillment of Desire, or what is, what do you feel is, or what is the book, either what is the book that's most affected you, or what is the book that you would most strongly recommend to me and everybody else? Uh, how, how to Win Friends and Influence People. That one has come up a lot lately. Dale I'll, Carnegie. I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you why, because. Yeah. This is something that, that my, my development coach says all the time, Tracy. She says, it's simple, it's just not easy. And we can overanalyze everything in life as much as we want. Mm -hmm. But reality is a simple knowledge is simple, it's just not easy. So when you can get past your own ego and you can apply the basics of a book like that, it can be a life changer. And do you find... I love how you said it's simple, it's not easy, but would you say, what, what is it that's not easy? It, is it, because it's, is it, it's removing your ego that's not easy. Would you? Well, yeah, it's not because it's, okay, yeah. you can come up with things and you can say, I'm going to be a positive person because negativity is toxic for me. I'm going to be a grateful person because I have so many positive things in my life. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, to live in a place of abundance and use my fear as my faith, you might say. Mm -hmm. However, walk out the door, let somebody bump into you. You're on the street, people are honking horns. You come home and your kid is a, your teenager is a nightmare and you want to murder them. Um, all, you forgot all of that. Right. You forgot <laughs> just in an instant. Spontaneously, right. you forgot it. Deepak Chopra, help us. <laughs> so so it's, you, you try to implement those things in that moment. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. The thought and the concept is great, but having to, to, to again, time and repetition, becoming that person is not easy. It's, it's a challenge. So it's simple. It's simple knowledge and simple, simple things and ways you should live your life. It's just not easy to, to implement them. That's what I mean by that. I and so you have to yeah, working diligently every that. day. And maybe it's a memory thing too, like remembering whatever you're going through. So is everybody else. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is the one thing, if there was only one thing that we were going to remember, which certain aren't, because we've gone through so many things, but if there's one thing you want to make sure we take away from this interview, um, what is it? Um, I think it's very simple. There's, I, I realized, um, had an, an epiphany in the shower in February of this year. <laughs> where well, that's where they always happen. Yeah. So it was real. If it was in the shower, I, I it was a good one. I was having epiphanies in the shower, not singing in the shower. And I said, Oh, it's all about love. And it was my, it was weird. And I know this is super heady, but I was like, oh, Well, you're in good company. Like life is really about love. And at the end of the day, it's about two things. It's about health and love. If you're not healthy, you can't love, but that's what it boils down to. But the only way that you get to love and why the last year of my life has just been a total game changer is you have to learn to be your authentic self, because if you're not, you can't love yourself, then you can't love anybody else. So what I would focus on is do the development work of yourself to figure out who you are and what you have to offer the world 
love will come out of that and love will be in, in, basically returned because of that. You're exactly right. That's beautiful. That is perfectly said and so true. It's like, it's like we just visited the, um, who is it on the matrix? The wise woman on the matrix? Oh, <laughs> oh the Oracle. <laughs> the Oracle. That's the name of our podcast interview with the Oracle. <laughs> also known as Jared Jean- Jean- Randolph. I could go deep, but it's intense. I mean, like I'm with you, but but what you just said, what you just said is like, people can call it wooey or whatever, but when you back at, when you, when you kind of get out of the dirt, I always like quote Gary Vaynerchuk on that and get back in the clouds or where it would just step away from everything for just a minute and look at it and break it all down. That's exactly what it is. People, people, when they get quiet, they might not ever say it in public. And to your point, Jerry, what you said earlier, we all experience it. What is said and what is thought and felt when you're quiet is what really matters. And someone might not actually be able to say that openly, but they Mm -hmm. feel it. So you can respond any way you want to respond to that comment on what my belief is. Mm -hmm. But I know it to be true because we're all human beings. We're all so similar and connected in that way that we all go through this and it could be a crisis. It could be a moment in our lives where we're actually progressing and growing. Mm-hmm. But you have to find yourself. You have to love yourself. If not, you cannot, you can't do anything. And even if you make a ton of money and you're fucking miserable, it's like, what's, what's the, the point? point? What's the point? Okay, so I lied. I have one more question. Okay. And then we're gonna, then we got to go. But meditate. You said be quiet. And when you said that, I thought, because that's something I do. I don't talk about it on the show very much, but I do that at least once a day. Yes. In some form or fashion, you probably do the same. Yes. So I started, it'll be five years in February. Um, I started the practice of TM or transcendental meditation. And for me, it was a game changer. Now, here's what I suggest to people. When you start to meditate, you learn mm-hmm. whatever. It is. Be comfortable with the silence and know it's okay. Because the stuff that started popping up when I started meditating, I was like, whoa, that situation had to do with this from childhood when I was eight years old. The nuggets you know? know, though. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot of people don't get scared when things like that come up. But the longer, again, the time and repetition that you do it, you find a balance because you're able to deal with them, um, do the parts work. No, I don't mean compartmentalize them. I mean, actually work on those parts of you that need the most work. It's will change your life. And meditation for me has brought me to a place of no longer being living in chaos or extremes of high, low to this very happy, neutral place. And it's meditation is extraordinarily important and do it 20 minutes twice a day. And sometimes getting in that second session is rough because we are busy during the day, but I get up every morning and meditate right away for 20 minutes and go about my day. And it's a great way to, to, to clear everything out and start fresh. That's awesome. Thank you. I have a lot to say about that, but I'm giving you the last word because it was really good. Um, and I want everybody to remember that because we don't talk about that enough on the show. Well, thank you so much. 